Welcome to Hell Interrupted. Are you out of your damn mind? You get to drink from the fire hole! This is an embarrassment, a disgrace! What? What's the matter, kid? You got wax in your ears? Don't do it! You got TV and <laughs> Hello and welcome to Film Erupted. This is the show where I get to do whatever I want while dealing with the constant antics of Smash. We can review movies, video games, and who knows what else. Episodes can be spooky, too oddly informative, to downright stupid. I am your host, Phil Allen, and I do welcome you to the show. Today, we have the lovely co-host of the show, Jess, joining us as always. Hey. Hi. Hi, Jess. Hi. There she is. Hi, I'm Jess. Hi. <laughs> Okay, so she's here, and she's going to be joining us for a little edition. Um, this is going to be volume two of Histories, Mysteries, Murder, and the Unexplained. Volume two. Hmm. So I'm going to read some interesting stories, and we will discuss them. I think that could be fun. Me too. Yeah. Wow, you're so subdued this episode. You told me I can't interrupt you. I said no interrupting. That's my job. Phil interrupted. You said, you know, you cannot bitch. keep going on and on and on. You got to let me read. So here That's I am. right. I said, bitch. Here I am. All right. Well, man, we got seven pages of notes to get Let's through. Let's get started. Do you hear them? That's paper. Yes, I printed it out, people. I don't like to read from the phone. You, know? you worked hard today. I did. I did. I did this while work. But that's a secret revealed here today. Okay. Mm. All right, hon. You ready? Go. All right. The first one. The Great Emu War of 1932. Following the conclusion of World War I in 1918, many discharged veterans found themselves given land by the Australian government to take up farming within Western Australia. The land was often in agriculturally marginal areas, but the onset of the Great Depression in 1929, many veteran farmers focused on increasing their wheat crops. The government promised subsidies to assist the new farmers, though it failed to deliver any form of assistance. Wheat prices continued to fall, and the farmers threatened to not deliver the wheat if they were not paid properly. Their troubles were furthered by the annual arrival of 20,000 emus. <laughs> the new farmland in Western Australia was very suitable for the emus, who migrated after the breeding season ended. They arrived in huge numbers, consuming and spoiling the crops. They also damaged the fence around them, allowing other wildlife to enter. Now, emus are pretty big animals. They're really big. They're, they're kind of scary. They're kind of like raptor, dinosaur Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And we'll talk a little bit about how I want to have them yes. when Keep we're going. done here. I think we've Keep talked going. about it in a previous episode. You're interrupting yourself. I know. I'm trying to be good here. Farmers were quick to relay their concerns to the Minister of Defense. Wow, they went right up to uh, military here who agreed to use their plan to use machine guns against the emus. You gotta fuck them up. Jesus Christ. Well, they're you, they're big That's animals. That's a bit aggressive. It's like uh, we just talked about, you know, they're like dinosaurs. Shoot! Like Jurassic Park. The guns were only to be used by military personnel. Troop transport was to be paid for by the government, and the farmers would pay for the food, the accommodations, and the ammunition for the soldiers to blow away these emus, right? This plan would provide the soldiers with good target practice. Emus are pretty fast. That they are. Yeah. Now, the first attempt began in, I don't even know why it even says here, Campion, which is 185 miles east of Perth. Do you know where Perth is? I have no idea. It's Come one of on. the bigger cities. It's all the way on the west coast. I don't know where anything is. So they spotted 50 emus there. But the birds were found to be out of the range of the guns. The locals then attempted to herd the emus into an ambush. And the emus did not all run together as had been hoped. And instead, they split into smaller groups, making them much harder to target. Now, several birds were killed, but nowhere near the anticipated amount. 
Two days later, an ambush occurred near the dam where more than 1,000 emus were headed to. The gunners waited for the birds. They were in close proximity before opening fire. Still, they only had limited success. By the fourth day, the fourth day of the campaign, reporters began to say that the emu packs had leaders that would cause destruction and distractions and would warn the rest of the birds if there was trouble afoot. The emus are working in packs, hunt just like raptors. Hmm. By the end of the sixth day, a quarter of the ammunition had been used, but only a suspected 50 birds had been killed. That's it. Hmm. They're big animals. They can't be that hard to shoot. Mm. Eventually, they had killed 986 emus with 9,860 rounds of ammunition. It's not a good kill rate. Additionally, they had injured about 2,500 more emus that would later die from their injuries. Very sad. Despite the initial problems that the farmers had faced with the emus, they were forced to request military aid again in 1934, 1943, and 1948. These emus, they're taking over. All of these requests were ultimately turned down by the government. Now, the emus may have, in fact, triumphed in the end. There are not only still emus roaming Australia, but they even feature now on the Australian coat of arms. It is estimated that there are over 700,000 emus in Australia. So, moral of the story? Babe, let's just move to Australia. Can't I'm beat o- the birds. I'm okay with that. Can't beat the birds. You want them anyway. Let's just... I'm I'm cool with that. Yeah, they're awesome birds, man. I love the way they look at you. They're like... Their eyes are <clears throat> huge. Like, I'm just gonna throw this out there. One of my favorite, like, I'm not big on watching, like, videos and stuff like that, but one of the Instagram, Graham, oh my god, Instagram pages that I follow, Useless Farm, and I've showed you many of yeah, her videos. I remember, I remember this, yeah. I love them. Yeah. And she has two of them. She has Stanley and she has Karen. Stanley is very sweet. Stanley, she can pet him. She could do everything. Karen's a, a bitch. Karen attacks her and everything and it is just just watching those I'm like I I see the difference between them and I know you want them part of me is a little nervous were hers um adopted or did she have them so did she like hatch them I don't know when she got Stanley but I know that Karen was kind of like taken in like she that's why it's called useless farm and it's basically going to be the kind of farm that we're going to have when we move right we're not making any money like, off she of it. has them as pets yeah. so she's got all kinds of animals there but she's not using them for any profit or using them for anything she's using them as pets yeah, yeah and yeah. that's exactly what i want so she ended up taking karen in and she knew what she was getting into with karen and such a karen now it's kind of like a you know, like she even has pictures hanging up in their barn, which is freaking great. It's hilarious. Um, but Stanley, Stanley loves to wear wigs. Who doesn't? Like simple as that. Who doesn't? But anyway, emus. I mean, even when we went to, um, you know, the amount of time we spent at Mount Laurel Animal Hospital. Yeah. Thanks. When Papers was going through her stuff, and when Slinky was going through her stuff, his stuff. Oops, sorry, Slink. Um. They have emus there. Mm-hmm. That's where I really And they like have them. the food there, so you can feed all the animals on their farm. I was scared to I feed the emus. I was freaking terrified when the emus came running over mm-hmm. towards me. I was like, you're not freaking eating out of my hand. You're not. Nope, I'm going to feed the It's a little pigs. scary because their beaks, like, they, they can just rip your look, hand off. But yeah. no, it's like, it's their eyes. If you've never been around an emu, it's like, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like their mannerisms, like the way they look at you and the way they move it's kind of freaky yeah those birds are very they're different well they're the second the second smallest yeah the second largest bird besides the ostrich which is ostrich ostrich which, mr <laughs> phil is mr which is gigantic ostrich emus are still really big they're, they're emu enormous big but they are, yeah. But at they're least they're huge. somewhat manageable. I think I'd like to have two. I don't think you really need more than two. I think two would be good. I don't think um, there's any reason to have more than that. 
I'm gonna be like, babe, I just freaking ran in the house. He's attacking me. I need you out there. I'm gonna be like, oh, let's see, guys. Yeah, right? Holy shit. No, you'll get used to them. They're no, just like anybody else. No, and I think that if we get them from the time they're babies and we yes. raise them, yes, we'll be difference. okay. Yeah, it's, that's a big difference because they know who's feeding them. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's different. Like, dachshunds, I want to take dachshunds in from being old, from no. being young. I want to do all that. But I think with emus and if we do get goats and pigs, like, well, we are going to have pigs. That's no if. But they get along raising with them. them yeah, because they can all be in the same enclosure and everything, and they can just live together. But I think getting them from babies and having them grow together is going to solidify their relationship, and I think things will be much better, even as us human handlers, with them. Yeah, and here's the thing: if they're assholes, we can shoot them with machine guns, because that's what uh, Australia. That's, that's did. never gonna happen. I don't. I I am not okay that's, with that. We just that. gotta get machine guns, and this was probably the saddest story you've ever read me. I do not like animals dying. But here's the thing: the emus won the war. Okay, that's good for them. They I'm won happy. The war. It's, okay. I'm well, very happy that they just won. Just telling you. Because I was rooting for them all along, even though they're terrified. You heard about this? You read about this, Jeff? I've never heard about this. Ever. You know, my brother brought this up one time. When we were together? Or like yes, the last time we saw my brother. No, the last time we saw my brother, he actually brought up emus. And he was like, he was like, yeah, in Australia. And I was like, the Great Emu War? And he was like, whoa, you know wow. about that? I was like, well... <laughs> Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> My husband who knows useless information. That's right. Awesome. Very hard to kill, apparently. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't want to kill. That's this was sad. in the 1930s and 40s. I mean, I guess now we Let could... me just snuggle with it. Well, you no, just said they were not snuggling. Pet it. All right. Well, are you ready to move on to something a little bit more sinister? Uh, yeah. Elmer McCurdy is our next one. Hmm. Elmer McCurdy became well-known throughout the United States as a failed bank robber and train robber. Yet, this was not to be his legacy. Instead, Elmer would find more success once he was dead than he ever did in life. Page two. <laughs> On his last burglary... That's a hard word Bur to say. Wait, what? Burgu burglary... Say it again, one more time. Burglary. Did okay. I get it that time? Burglary. On his last burglary attempt. <laughs> so hard. He targeted the wrong train and escaped with a couple bottles of booze. All right, not bad. Mm, not bad. And a bounty on his head. Not good. What's a bounty? Uh, oh, that's okay. Sorry. When they yes, they put your yes, poster yes, up on yes. the wall and they say, go get this guy dead cut or alive. Cut that out. Just cut that out. So, rather than the $400,000 that he had been expecting, all he got was the booze and the bounty. So, hmm. within days, a posse was out looking to collect the bounty. Elmer was hunted down and cornered in a hay shed, where after an hour of a standoff, he was shot and killed in hmm. 1911. Elmer's body was taken to the local funeral parlor and embalmed with arsenic. In preparation for his family and friends to claim him. Arsenic? And arsenic, yep. Mm. But nobody turned up to collect him. The funeral director, livid about the cost of embalming a body that nobody was going to pay for, began to exhibit McCurdy's body as the bandit who wouldn't give up and charged a nickel for people to come by and see the body. Now, <laughs> the funeral director more than made his money back pretty interesting that he decided fuck it i'm just gonna put this guy out for show right like a dead body right okay but you gotta remember this 1911 still 1911 people were out of money like sideshow people like babe that. we just got paid let's go see him right <laughs> it's that bank robber let's go yeah it's so bizarre after five years of turning a profit exhibiting the body five years five years he showed this body off the funeral director was approached by two people claiming to be Elmer's brothers. They paid for the body and they took him away. However, these were not people related to Elmer, but it was in fact James and Charles Patterson, members of a traveling circus. Those circuses always come up. They look for the freaks. Freaks. Yeah, they do. In the care of these two men, the body traveled up and down the country for years in museums and in circus fairs. 
Now the men. Oh, do you hear that? The dog. He always wants a, me to pet him. He's looking at me. This dog. Anyway, the men only stopped after the body began to decompose. Oh, good lord. The corpse was stored in a Los Angeles warehouse in oh, 1949 geez. and was promptly forgotten. Oh. He died in 1911. In 1949, is... they put him in a warehouse. That's vile. Yeah, right? After being rediscovered in 1964, oh Jesus God, the body was mistaken for a waxwork or a mannequin, <laughs> and spent the next decade on display in various theme parks. What? <laughs> this is a true story. Are you sure? This is a true story. Elmer's true self was only rediscovered in 1975 during the filming of the Six Million Dollar Man. The show had rented The Pike, a California theme park, in which Elmer was set up as a ghoul to scare the visitors. A prop man setting up the shot moved McCurdy's body. It was so fragile that the arm fell off and revealed <laughs> bones and flesh. Could you Wait, imagine? Wait, so this is a movie? The Six Million Dollar Man. Yeah, that's a movie or a show. I don't remember from hmm. the 1970s. Yeah, I'm not I kind of want to watch sure. it now. It's amazing that they this guy was they're like, "Oh, it's it's a fake man." Like that is, he must have been really well preserved. He, he must have really well preserved. But incredibly well God. preserved bank robber. God damn. Could you imagine dying though and your body has been no, traveled like, all around the country and Like when I'm dead, just just leave me on a hill in Vermont. And I'm good. Please do not like travel my body. His arm like, fell off. Oh. I'm going to move here. I'm going to take my wife's body. No, like, just just leave me in Vermont where I'm happy. I don't think this happens to most people, babe. I don't think no. you got to worry about this. No, that's really... I don't think you should worry. Ugh. So after the arm fell off, police were called to the scene, and Elmer McCurdy was finally investigated. Sorry. I have Ta itch. <laughs> Ticket stubs found in his mouth, as well as the embalming technique dated him back to the early 20th century. Ticket stubs in his mouth? Well, yeah, because he was, uh, he was put on exhibit here, you know? I don't know why ticket stubs were in his mouth. Maybe that's, um, I don't, I don't know what that part's about. Oh. Okay. Keep going. After finally being rediscovered, Elmer was buried in April 22nd, 1977 in a plain pine coffin. Finally laid to rest. So after all this shit, that's all he gets is a plain ass pine coffin. He was a scumbag. Well, he was. Train robber, man. Yeah. Look, this is some Wild West shit. You. Is that desecrated? I do think his corpse was probably just. His arm fell off. It was in a movie. <laughs> his arm fell off. Yeah. Oh, come on. I mean, he should have gotten something a little bit nicer. I mean, regardless of the stuff he did. I don't. 1911 done, is when he died. He wasn't finally that is buried insane. until 1977. How is there anything left of this dude? How? Dude, the guy who put this arsenic in him, right? Must have been like the best funeral parlor dude yeah. ever. Because for his body to stay that well preserved. Well. Right. That's something else. It is. Ready for our next one? Yep. This one is the unexplained. Okay. The Flatwood Monster. Everybody hates a little Flatwood. <laughs> hmm. It, no was it was September 12th, 1952, and the night was drawing in. At around 7.15 p.m. in the evening, two brothers named Freddie May and Edward May of Fannie Mae, the company. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they weren't with that. And two of their friends, Tommy Hire and Neil Nutley. <laughs> we're, we're, Sorry. It's actually not Nutley, it's Nunley. I just thought Nutley would be better. They work great. They were playing on the lawn of the Flatwood Dick Elementary School. Stop. That's not that either. <laughs> the Flatwoods Stop. Elementary School. All of a sudden, they saw a bright light in the sky. Hmm. It appeared to them as if something had crashed nearby. They ran to the boys' nearby home and told them what they had seen to their mother. Now, Mom, being a great mom that she is, informed the National Guardsman about the incident. 
that she's she took it seriously. Mm, really, she did. I've been like, yeah, you guys saw a light. That's cool. Go away. I'm like, wow, great job. Yeah, wonderful, boys. Wow, right. very exciting. Good job. Instead, she called the National Guard. Mm. Not fucking around. Nope. They all, along with Richie, the family dog, went to the crash site to find out what it actually was. Don't you love that I brought the dog? That's such a 1950s thing to do. Bring the dog. Yeah. He's a great dog, tagging along, unlike our dog. Who's our annoying. dogs are good. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. When they reached the crash site, they noticed a strange metallic smell in the air. Like farts. No, it's a, like more, sulfur? Like poop plant? Metallic. Not poop plant. That's awesome. Moreover, they also heard a number of high-pitched noises that came from the darkness in front of them. <laughs> What's going on in the darkness? Well, they weren't scared at this point, and they pressed mm. on, intrigued by what might have happened here. Then the group came across a horrific sight. Out of the darkness, they saw a ten-foot creature described as wearing a metal dress with a spade-shaped head. The hands of the creature were clawed and twisted. Spade like a mushroom tip? Um, like a penis head? Well, why do you always have to do this? Every <laughs> show, you have to do but this. But that's... Okay. No one has ever said a spade. penis is a spade head. Okay. <sighs> Every time. The eyes of the creature glowed orange, and it seemed to them as if the creature was floating just above the ground. Seeing the creature glide and hiss, all of them fled from the area out of terror. The vision I have in my head right now. <laughs> Giant dick. Yes. Page change. With orange eyes. One orange eye. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the incident was reported to the local authorities. I thought they already called the National Guardsmen. Yeah, I thought they did. Again, the local authorities searched the area throughout the night, but were not able to find anything matching the description given to them by the terrified witnesses. Aside from their obvious distress at what they had seen, the group also suffered, also suffered physical Filthy. side effects in the following days. They experienced vomiting, nausea, and throat irritation for a number of oh. days. Oh, just... Throw me off a cliff. It wasn't just them. Another resident of Flatwood Dicks also reported seeing a similar creature not long before the incident. According to reports, while this woman was walking through the woods, she also saw the monster. This witness and a few friends were going to a nearby store, but instead of taking the long route, they chose to take the shortcut through the forest. Mm. Yeah, whoops. After they had covered only a half a mile distance, they saw what they thought was a fireball on the hill. At first, they dismissed the sight. I don't know how, but they did. Shots, 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 shots. <clears throat> shots? Fireball. Oh. <laughs> sorry. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, dun, dun. yeah, sorry. I was just doing my own fireball. thing over here as soon as you said that. <laughs> However, when they took a glance back, they could no longer see the fire. Confusing. Instead, they saw a tall, man-shaped figure. Out of terror, she and her friends fled from the site. In 2000, after the investigation of the case, a conclusion was that the bright light scene on September 12th was likely to be a meteor. Hmm. The night when the bright light was seen, a meteor was observed in the three states of Pennsylvania, Maryland, in West Virginia. Hmm. I believe the meteor was true. Why they saw a large penis shape or yeah. monster can't... I don't understand well, that's how that that's all I envision right now is the penis monster coming towards me. Well, let's move on to the next story. No. Okay. Um, I don't know why... I, I just don't know how a meteor could suddenly turn into this story, right? It seems like far-fetched how they got so crazy. It, yeah, that's true. But in all likeliness, I mean, it probably was just a meteor. Dick-shaped meteor. Yeah, they are a projectile. I've never seen one. Oh, I meteor. have shooting stars. Meteor. Just sort never. of one. Meteor, meteor. <laughs> Which one is it? Oh, stop. Nobody knows. What? No, they all call it. Meteor. Meteor or meteor. <laughs> that's a real thing, babe. I know, I know. I'm You're laughing this it up. This is over your head. 
Like, I didn't hear. What would you do? Was it a joke? Meteor. Oh, meaty? Meaty. S- stop. <laughs> Is it stalactite or stalagmite? <laughs> Nobody knows. Well, it depends on where it grows. Is it growing up or is it growing down? Okay, next one. I'm done with this. <laughs> Abby Williams and Libby German. That's their names, and this is their story. It was a warm day, and the two best friends went for a walk at 1.35 exactly p.m. on the Manon High Bridge Trail over Deer Creek. Where is that? Um... Okay. I think we find out later. Indiana. Okay, I Indiana. Yep. This place was a largely uh, woodland, and they were only about 1.2 miles outside of town. Libby used her phone around 2.09 p.m. to upload one photograph into Snapchat of Abby walking on the bridge. The girls were to be picked up by Mike Patty, Libby's grandfather and legal guardian. They were supposed to meet in the parking lot of the trail at about 3.15 p.m., but they never showed up. Mm. The families of these girls started to look for them by 5 p.m., and almost the entire town of 3,000 joined in along with the police to find the girls by 6 p.m. The search teams again resumed on the next day as the girls were still not found. Mm. At noon the next day, a searcher discovered the bodies of the girls about 50 feet from the north bank of Deer Creek. The bodies were found on the property of a man named Ron Logan, who was 77 years old, and he was quickly dismissed as a suspect. The bodies were found around a half a mile away from the Menon High Bridge, where Libby had taken the photograph of Abby the previous afternoon. Audio clips, video clips, and photos were taken from Libby's phone. These include several separate clips where the girls were seen meeting with a man on the Mm. bridge that afternoon. Okay. This man is therefore, if not the murder, one of the last people to see the girls alive. Mm. On February 15th, 2017, the police released pictures that were taken from the cell phone. In the images, a white man wearing blue jeans, a hoodie, and a blue jacket or coat is seen. Police named the man as a person of interest in the case. Duh. Right. The first audio clip in Libby's phone was released by police on February 22, 2017, a week after the murder. The audio only lasts a few seconds and consists of the voice of a man saying, Down the hill. Hmm. Run up that hill. <laughs> I know. We'll deal with God. This audio was released without any attached video. Now, the police at the time said that they did also have a video of the murder or suspected murder telling both girls to proceed down the hill, but they did not explain further. And they did not release the video. Hmm. After two more years. Two? Two more years. That's a cold case, right? Yeah. The Indiana State Police on April 22nd, 2019, released an additional audio segment, including the word guys before down the hill. And even though the new audio appeared to have... Yep. Even even though the new audio appeared to have a different voice, Indiana State Police assured the people that it was the same person. The police, on the same press conference on April 22nd, also released the Bridge Guy video. This was recorded by Libby on the day of the murders. Hmm. The video was of a man who was walking on the bridge behind Abby and Libby. Police asked whether anyone recognized the walk of the person as this walk did not appear natural. This might, however, also be due to the deterioration of the bridge, making it difficult to walk on. It was not a used bridge anymore. Police also felt that the man would be familiar with the area and probably a local. 
On April 22, 2019, the police said that he, the police chief said that he went himself to the bridge and saw that the bridge ties were in fact deteriorating. It sways, and it is not some place where somebody can walk straight. He said. The police opinion was that whoever had been seen up there had walked on this bridge before knew the area. Mm. Even many years later, the murder remains unsolved with the police still receiving new clues. Now, I've actually looked at this footage, the pictures and the video. It is now out there. If you search for these people, you can find it. There is clearly some dude walking behind. So there them. is somebody. It's kind of eerie. It's kind of eerie. You'll have to show this to me. Two young girls out by themselves. Yeah, that scares me. Some dude just strolling up on the bridge behind them. And... I get nervous sometimes when I just go to a store and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Like, I imagine, really do. Imagine being on a bridge. There's literally yeah. nowhere else to go. Are you going to jump off the bridge? No, of course like, not. I know you didn't like me when I used to go for walks in the bike path and everything alone. It's a heavy And I wooded, had my phone yeah. ready if I just had to pick it up and call somebody like call you or call 911 like I had it ready just in case because there are people there's so many times I go so many places and like people are just really creepy especially to attractive women right like and sure. and young women are a huge target well, just young girls absolutely yeah. there's just unfortunately freaks like out I worry there. about Zoe like that one time which thank god you know our coach had her you know with the granddaughter. Oh yeah, the football game. Yeah, I was I Couldn't was definitely panicking then because that wasn't a home game. We were away and she usually stays right near us, so that kind of freaked me out cuz she was hiding under a blanket. It yeah. was freezing. It with her friend. It's, yeah. It's who is the granddaughter game. of one of our coaches, which is fine, but for a split second I literally panicked and it was kind of similar to the situation where when we went to Delaware to visit one of our friends and we went to this, you know, fire thing that they had going on there. And Zoe was walking. She was like three, I think. And she went behind the thing to go down the slide. And we're sitting there waiting for her to come down the slide. And she's not there. She isn't coming. So we're like, what the heck? The, the line's not that long. Like, it's not a big ride. No. So we both, like, walked over and Zoe wasn't there. So we started panicking. We're in Delaware. We're in a totally different state. We have no idea, like anything around here and zoe's gone yeah there and were other we kids took who, off there were other kids who went up after her yeah were going down the slide and we're like how did that happen yeah that you have was, to understand the slide was blocked because it was like a little fire truck yeah it was a little fire truck so it was blocked you couldn't see the kids waiting they walked up they went into it and then they came out down yeah. the slide so she disappeared you know, typical parent you're waiting at the end of the slide to take a picture of your kid coming down the slide and all these other kids keep going and you're like where the heck is zoe and we freaked out and we both just took off in different directions looking for her. Come to find out she was in the cardboard house coloring. Yeah. She had with somehow slipped. some other girls. Like she slipped away somehow. She went out the back. She didn't go down the slide. Yep. She went back down and disappeared. Yeah, that was that terrifying. Was the, that was the scariest instance I ever have had with losing track of her. Yeah. Without a doubt. I was starting to I was on the verge of starting to freak out. Yeah, that was it was terrifying like there's so many creepers out there that go after these girls and like girls these days look a lot older than they really are and they're not and it's scary yeah i really worry i think it's safe to say that this guy who was on the bridge is 99 percent chance he's the culprit that's what it sounds like right i mean if he's saying down that hill whatever the true audio is on the thing it's, it's probably likely that he's not like, oh, hey, girls, you want to go down the hill there? No. He's probably like, get down the hill. Like, he's like a, right. basically starting to like attack them. No, I agree. And they're young girls, so they're going to be like, oh, yeah, okay. So they're like, because they're in. scared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, I know. Fucked up, man. It, it's, it's terrifying. It's still officially unsolved, though. But, I mean, who knows that's who did crazy. it? He's out there somewhere. Yeah, that's scary. Our next one is Claudia Lawrence. At the time of her disappearance, say that again. At the time of her disappearance, Hmm. Claudia Lawrence was 35 years old. She lived alone in the village of Heworth, England, with a job in the kitchens. I assume she's like a cook. That's how I take it. At the nearby University of York. 
Her parents, Peter and Joan, divorced when Claudia was in her early 20s, but she remained close with both of them, frequently catching up with them over the phone and seeing her father multiple times a week. The day before anyone realized that Claudia was missing was a day much like any other. The date was March 18th, 2009. It was a pretty That's recent recent. Mm -hmm. Connor was born that year. That's great. She had awoken early in the morning and headed off for her shift in the kitchens. <laughs> kitchen. Hell kitchen. I like that there's an S at the end of it. <laughs> she was captured on the university. Is that a college here? At the university CCTV arriving for work at 5.57 a.m. After an uneventful shift, she clocked out at 2.31 in the afternoon and the same camera caught her leaving. She had been home for about 15 minutes when she popped out again to post a letter. During this outing, she bumped into an acquaintance who later described Claudia as her happy, cheery self. There were two CCTV cameras on her route to and from work, and the footage from this short journey would be the last verified sighting of Claudia Lomwins. We know that Claudia was at home for at least some of the evening. She had spoken to her father on the phone at 7.30 and called her mother Joan immediately afterwards. They chatted about a TV program they were both watching, which her mom has stated that she could hear in the background of the call. And they also made plans for Mother's Day, which fell on that very next weekend. Claudia sent a text to a friend at about 8.23 p.m. and at 9.12 she received a text back from the friend. Police have never been able to confirm whether she opened the message or not. According to her parents, when Claudia had an early shift at the university kitchens, she would try to be in bed by 9 p.m. Mm. So it is possible that she may have been asleep by then. The next morning, however, Claudia never turned up for work. Mm. It wasn't until the next day that anybody realized that Claudia was missing. She had been due to meet one of her best friends, Susie Cooper, for a drink at the local pub on the evening of the 19th. Well-liked and sociable, Claudia would often be found hanging out at Nags Head, which I believe is in North Carolina. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't think it's that one. This is Nags Head Pub in Britain. Mm. Totally, totally different. Located just four doors down from her Owls home. Owls Airport Inn? At Owls Airport Inn. Total dive bar. That's such a local joke here. No one gets food. When Claudia was a no-show, at first, Susie thought little of it. She sent her a text jokingly thank her for st thanking her for standing her up. But when Susie still hadn't heard from her the next day, she began to worry. She called the pub landlord, George Foreman. <laughs> That's the guy who made those grills. The grills. Yeah. He's also a boxer. Stop. Championship boxer. But George really, just, really just the grill guy. I had one grill. of those in college, those little hey, grills. Hey, look what I got. It's in the back of my trunk in my car. I had those. I would <laughs> plug it in, cook a little burger. Did you? Yeah. I, would I think my family did too. Clean it out with the paper towels. It was so convenient. I was too young Thank you, to George Foreman grill. <laughs> <laughs> now, this George Foreman was also a friend of Claudia's and asked, uh, they, he asked him, she asked him to go knock on Claudia's door mm. but when he knocked there was no reply Susie then called Claudia's father Peter who had a set of keys to their house her house hold on Peter called the University of York who confirmed that Claudia had also not turned up for work the previous day panicked Peter drove the 20 miles down to Heworth and picked up George Foreman's grill from the pub <laughs> When the men let themselves in, they found the house exactly as they would expect it to be. Claudia's bed had been made, and her toothbrush stood on the kitchen draining board. Mm, not in the shower? Nope. I love mm. these different words. And her breakfast plates were left in the sink, indicating that she had gotten up and had gotten ready the previous morning. Oh, good lord. Her slippers were left by the door as if she had taken them off to put on her boots. The only missing items were Claudia's backpack, which she normally took to work, her chef's whites, her hair straighteners, and her mobile phone. Why would you take your hair straightener to work? I don't know, but like to t just touch on that, I actually went to the bathroom this morning when I got 
at work. And there was a girl much younger than me. Like, I'm talking, she's probably in her early 20s. Okay. Shut up, dog. So, you know, my routine in the morning, I take a shower, I do my makeup, I do my hair, and I leave for work. Simple, right? No, this girl who's in her early 20s has like all of her makeup spread out in the bathroom doing her freaking makeup. I'm like, this is this is freaking work. Like I washed my hands and like I was at the end sink and I see her in the other room. And I'm like, who the he- who the hell does this? Yeah. Who brings their entire makeup kit to work and sits there and does their makeup there? Like anyway, it, it's it's just like a totally different I've certainly I, I don't know. Was she but in her chef's whites? She was not, but she was like she looked like a baby. Like she literally looked a couple years older than Aiden. It was She have her hair straightener there. And I have seen people curl their hair in the bathroom Jesus in the Christ. woman's room. Guys don't but do that. This at all. girl, like it was literally this morning. She had all of her makeup spread out. Like, I don't know what a men's room looks like at our work. But the women's room, like, you walk in, and then there's, like, counters everywhere and mirror, full-length, like, mirrors all around. Yeah, there's counters and mirrors. And then you can walk into where the stalls are, and there's full mirrors. There's a full-length mirror. There's everything. But she was in that first room because I walked in, and I kind of, like, I saw her, but I didn't really look at her. It wasn't until I was done, like, washing my hands, because I came out to the last sink. Like, she's got a whole freaking makeup studio right there. You have full-length mirrors? Uh, we have one full-length mirror for your whole body. But when you first walk in the woman's bathroom, there is a counter all around. There's two seats. Oh, sorry. There's two seats. And there's mirrors, literally, all around the top. 360. And then there's a doorway. There's no door, but you walk in the doorway and there's all the stalls and then there's the sinks and there are there is two sinks in my bathroom. There's two sinks on the far wall and then the rest of it is countertop with mirrors all around. But when you walk into the stall area, there's stalls, sinks, and the mirror. And then there's a full-length mirror here. It's a great description, huh? Tell us more. But no, like this girl's sitting there doing her full blown make. Like she literally has like a makeup counter going on here. Like she's got everything spread out, like I do at home. So you guys don't have a trough to piss in. What the? What is a trough? No. Like just a big ass tub. And everyone no. just pisses in it. Our work has that. No, but I did go to a, a race once that had that. A trough. Race cars. Yeah, it was just. You're a trough. pissing in a like a. Like no, a, like a God. pig's trough. Everyone's just hanging their junk over, pissing uh-uh. in this big ass tub. We're all ba- basically pissing in a tub together. No, no, good no. times, man. Anyway, good times. so keep going. With no sign of Claudia, Peter reported her missing to the North Yorkshire Police, and an investigation was launched. Police faced a problem right from the start. No one was sure exactly which day Claudia had vanished. The things at her house, like the toothbrush and the breakfast plates, suggested that she had left for work as normal on the morning of the 19th, and that maybe something had happened to her en route. It was extremely dark in the mornings of that particular time of the year, and Claudia had been walking alone, so it seemed to be a feasible explanation. But analysis of Claudia's phone revealed that it had powered down around midnight, and police believed that it was turned off as opposed to running out of battery. According to her friends and family, Claudia was a prolific phone user and would use her mobile during her work breaks as well as during her journey home, a fact that her previous phone records were able to back up. Police also found Claudia's charger at home, and it seemed odd that such a heavy phone user would leave for work not only with a dead phone, but with nothing to charge it with. Mm-mm. Wouldn't happen. No, it wouldn't happen. Like, when I'm in the office... I have a whole desk set up so I can just plop my phone on it. My phone literally sits on it all day. I even even have a charger at work. Everybody does. Her handbag and bank card were also found at home. You know, women don't leave. Yeah, yeah, that's a problem. Especially that bank card. They want to spend, spend, spend. They were also found at home, and her colleagues later confirmed that she didn't tend to take her bag 
Oh, wait a minute. They did confirm that she didn't tend to take her bag with her to work. Interesting. I don't... All right, so... Just saying. Took her chef's weights. So I have a purse. Chef's weights. I have a huge lip gloss bag. Very white. I have my wallet. Yes. And I have a bunch of other random shit in my purse. Yes. I have two purses because yes. I have a work one and I have a home one. What? So. Why? When I'm with you, I typically don't bring anything with me except lip gloss. No identification. No. I could kill you and drop Unless you off. Unless the only way I bring any type of identification is if I know we're going to be drinking alcohol. And just in case I need to be carded, I give you my license. What? But if I'm going somewhere with you, I don't bring it all. I usually just bring lip gloss because I like my lips be popping. <sighs> so. Nobody gets that, hun. But, for example, today I went to Kohl's to return something. I had my purse with everything in it. When I went into Kohl's, I put my wallet, which is a wristlet, on my wrist, left the rest of the purse in there. But if I'm alone, and if she's a single woman, you're going to bring the important stuff with you. No matter, that's my point. She brought her, her what was her hair straightener? Yeah, she had that. Uh, you you got to have your hair straightener. You gotta. I mean, if you don't go anywhere, I mean, if you go anywhere... Hair straightener Forget comes. your wallet. Forget your license. Forget your cards. Bring your hair straightener. No doubt. No doubt. I do it all the time. Who wouldn't? All the time. I do it. Don't go like, anywhere without that hair straightener. My hair straightener. is like a half an inch. I'd bring mm. it. I do. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we... Anyway. Yeah. yeah we sorry. Made that clear. Now, on top of the fact that she didn't often take her bag to work, the police had no crime scene. There wasn't a hair out of place in Claudia's house, let alone any evidence to... Uh, lead to an injury or some sort of a struggle, right? No evidence. Within 10 days, the investigation had intensified with 100 police officers and 65 people from a search and rescue team combing the local area. It wasn't long before the case garnered national attention. CCTV footage also captured something out of the ordinary that day. At 5.42 on the morning of the 19th, a camera near the back of Claudia's house captured a light-colored Ford hatchback driving along Claudia's road. As it approaches her house, the car suddenly breaks. The car is too far away to make out the license plates, and despite public appeals, the driver remains unknown. Mm. This footage, combined with the tips from the public, appeared to confirm the initial theory that Claudia had gone missing... After she left his dog, why is the dog sneezing so much? He wants me to pet him. Go lay down. No. No lay more. Down. He's sneezing to get attention? Yes. That's what he does. Unbelievably ridiculous. Go lay down. Oh, there he is. <sighs> Unbelievable. He loves his mom. Okay? I'm sorry. He's, he's getting he's sneezing trying. so much. The initial theory uh, was confirmed, they think, that Claudia had gone missing after she left for work on the 19th. But police had some information that they were keeping to themselves. It was six years before police released more CCTV footage. Six years! The fuck are you waiting that for is, at that yeah, point? That's... The fuck are you waiting for at that point? That's insane. This footage showed a man just yards away from Claudia's home on the evening of the 18th, a short while before she spoke with her parents on the phone. Now, there is a man shown walking along the road that leads to an alleyway at the back of Claudia's house. He walks out of the shot of the camera, but returns just over a minute later with what looks like a bag over his shoulder. He then walks up towards Claudia's road, but stops when he sees another person coming down it, only carrying on once the person is out of view. There have been arrests and other theories, but... It seems that she simply vanished in the thin air. Mm. Mm -mm. Never found her. No idea. I think this guy that's did scary. it. I think he did it. He's stalking her. Yeah, that's exactly how I took it, is that he's stalking her. It's really got to be frustrating as police to basically have your man. Right, even like the footage of the, the girls on the bridge. Unless you have concrete evidence, you can't do anything, and that's that's the scary thing. Well, they don't know who he is. 
they yeah. see him on There's... this grainy footage. They see him. They see that he had a Ford, but they can't tell what it is. They can't see the license plate. They can't figure out anything else from it. But they clearly saw that somebody was essentially like scoping the place out. Yeah. Yeah. That really, really strikes a nerve with me. It really freaks me out, especially because we have a daughter. The boys, Connor's going to put up a fight. Aiden's going to put up a fight. Zoe is, well, you're I mean, delicate. let's be honest. She's you're delicate creatures. It scares me because Zoe's a pretty girl. She carries herself as a pretty girl. Like cheerleader. She knows it. Yeah. Cheerleader, gymnast, like she she knows she's a pretty girl. Alright, well let's not be so down. This one I know. we're gonna end with this well, one. Well, you're the one that picked this. Well, I did the show's called Histories, Mysteries, Murder, and the Unexplained. It's like You said to me kidnap before my daughter. Uh, she said before Stop it. Make sure you have murder in the show. Yeah, I need murder in the show, but not these Poor girls. Well, it's That's usually sad. bitches getting right. murdered. No, bitches. No. Read the next one, you <laughs> asshole. Right. I think you'll have Avocado fun. Avocado douchebag. Uh, Nobody's going to understand that except for inside us. inside joke. This one is titled Gloria Ramirez, the Toxic Lady. And this okay, is our there final, we go. This is our final story. All right, go. On February 19th, 1994, at 8.15 p.m., 31-year-old Gloria Ramirez arrived via ambulance at the emergency room of the Riverside General Hospital in Riverside, California. She was experiencing a rapid and irregular heartbeat and a decreasing blood pressure, and she was almost incoherent and was having trouble breathing. Gloria Ramirez was already a very sick woman. She had been suffering from late-stage cervical cancer and was dying. Gloria Ramirez's condition rapidly declined upon reaching the hospital, and she needed to be defibrillated. Defibrillated. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's what I said. That is when the medical staff began noticing strange things about this patient. When her shirt was removed, several ER staff saw Gloria Ramirez's body was covered in what was described as an oily sheen. Now, you're into medical stuff. Any idea here what might be going on? No. No idea. No. I've worked in a hospital for a couple years. Never saw anybody oily. No oily sheen? Mm -mm. Okay. Even stranger, the doctors and nurses smelled what they described as a fruity, garlic-like scent coming from her mouth. That's not very weird because fruity kind of comes from people who have diabetes. Okay. So... And garlic's eh, very popular. Delicious. Yeah. Love no, I love some garlic. That's not very weird. I mean... Maybe she If somebody's going in there and like diabetic keto- ketoacidosis or something like that, they're going to have... Speak English. Fruity breath. Anyway, go ahead. You can get a little closer to the mic there. You're like 10 feet away. There you go. A nurse drawled Ramirez's blood Mm -hmm. and noticed that the blood had an ammonia-like smell. This nurse later spoke about this and said she thought that the blood would have smelled like chemotherapy, the way that blood smells putrid when people are taking some of those chemotherapy drugs. That's coming from the nurse. Mm. Now, she passed the blood sample to the attending doctor, who also agreed that the blood smelled like ammonia. Before giving the vial to another medical student named Julia, who also noticed a manila-colored particles in the sample. What does that mean? Manila. So I'm just going to circle back a little bit. Indonesia or something? I'm going to circle back a little bit. When I worked at the hospital, the nurses and the doctors didn't take blood. I took the blood. Did they sniff it? I have never, and I have had many, many patients, whether on labor and delivery, ICU, ER, um, regular med surge patients, blood. I, I, I never sat there and, like, I took their blood. I drew the needle, put the tubes in, took their blood, sent it off to lab. Never once in my entire career for years... 
did I smell anything? Okay. Now, if you want to talk about emptying a urine bag, then yes, I have smelled things. Well, that's but different. Doing blood? How are like? Are, well, they I, noticed I, it must have been a very strong ammonia smell to be like. I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know because well, I mean it gets weirder. Okay. Just gonna put it out there. That's it very strange to me to begin with because I've worked in every department and never once smelled blood when I was drawing blood. Well, get ready for this because okay. it gets weirder. After the nurse handed the blood to this other, what was it, the the medical student? Her name was Julia. She fainted and was removed from the room. This Julia became nauseous and left the trauma bay to sit at the nurse's desk where this this student eventually fainted completely and had to be helped out. When she woke up after fainting, she began having symptoms that are normally unrelated to fainting. She experienced uncontrollable muscle spasms every few seconds and suffered from apnea. Now, apnea is the involuntary stop of breathing for multiple seconds before starting and being able to breathe again. Good job, hon. Thank you. I read that. (laughs) Back in the trauma room with Gloria Ramirez, a third nurse fainted and also reported that she could not move her limbs when she awoke. It then became apparent to the doctors and nurses that something was really wrong. And when more nurses started to feel sick, they ordered that all patients in the ER be evacuated to the parking lot to avoid contamination and the doors were sealed. This is like some walking dead shit, right? Mm. That night, 23 of the 37 ER staff members experienced symptoms, including a burning sensation on the face, trouble breathing, headache, nausea, vomiting, and uncontrollable tremors. Sounds like they might have had a restless leg syndrome. No, I'm just kidding. You know how in all those... (laughs) medical ads you see on TV, Mm. they list like 10,000 things. Yeah, and then death. They do. They always had to add in death. Death is always at the end. Yeah. All these other horrible things and then death. Yeah. Yeah. You want to get rid of your uh, restless leg syndrome? psoriasis. You want your plaque psoriasis gone? Death. Death. Could happen. (laughs) A skeleton crew remained trying to stabilize Gloria's heart rate and breathing, but their efforts ultimately failed. After being at the Riverside Emergency Room for 40 minutes, Gloria Ramirez was pronounced dead from kidney failure caused by her stage 4 cervical cancer. Damn dog. Hear that dog? He wants me. However, she was just as dangerous after her death. (laughs) This is ridiculous, hon. I have a hard time reading these just because it's just so crazy. A specialized hazmat team had to be called in to remove Gloria's body. She was placed in a special hermetically sealed aluminum casket. A week later at her autopsy, physicians also had to wear hazmat suits while working with her body. The the press dubbed Gloria Ramirez the toxic lady or the toxic woman. And that is how she is remembered to this day. They never figured out. I never figured it out. Do I have any more pages here? I do. Oh, Jesus. I thought that was the end of the story. The death of Gloria Ramirez and the possibility of toxic fumes making the ER staff sick started a massive forensic investigation. Medical detectives from local, state, and federal agencies examined the hospital to determine the cause. The hospital was searched for things like chemical leaks, and if there was any way that a poisonous sewer gask... A sewer... Gask? A, a gask? What's a gas gun? If there was any way that a poisonous sewer gask had... <laughs> he did it again. If there was any way that a poisonous sewer gas had leaked into the ER, California's Department of Health and Human Services sent two investigators to the hospital. The investigators spoke with all of the staff in the ER who were working with Ramirez. They could not conclude how any of the symptoms could have been caused by toxic fumes. None of the patients that were in the ER got sick, only the staff members. The final conclusion? What do you think it is? I don't know. I don't know. The final conclusion by California's Department of Health and Human Services 
was that the staff members suffered from mass hysteria. Yeah. I honestly have to agree with that. 23 out of 37? Like, I worked in a hospital. They all wanted I to get out some, of work. I saw I some crazy... Yeah. I feel too. I'm getting out of work. No, like... <laughs> I saw some crazy shit when I worked in the hospital. I did. Stop sleeping. Go. Go lay down. Go. I worked in Trenton. I mean, I have literally taken in a patient that was just shot and left, like, literally rolled out of the car. And then we all go out there as the trauma bay and pull him in. And we try to resuscitate him and everything like that. And he didn't. Put a toe tag on him. I took him down to the basement. Do you smell like ammonia? No. No, see? But not the same. When I worked on the med surge floor. You don't know anything like Gloria Ramirez, clearly. There was a woman that had her entire insides hanging out of her body and nobody told me about that. Anyway, I saw a lot of crap. Yeah. A lot of crap. Never Probably real once. shit too. Ammonia and fruity and things like that. That's yells out diabetic to me. It's not going to fucking kill you. Well, it's not. It's gonna kill that person. Like if they don't get the shit under control, if we don't do anything about it. But as a nurse, as a caretaker, when I worked in a hospital, I mean, hell, I was around tuberculosis when I was pregnant with Aiden. I hell, did not get I'm, it. I'm I did tuberculosis. I did not get it. So, anyway, I've been around a lot of shit. So what was it? That's crazy. I think that's BS. I think it's Mass BS. hysteria. You really? I think it's BS. Wow. Just throwing all those nurses under the bus. I am. I get it. That's I think cool. it's BS. Fuck them, is what I say. No, it's a very weird case. It, it is, but I call BS. They had to wear hazmats to do an uh, autopsy. No, you, you typically wear, like, with tuberculosis. I was in there with that guy, feeding him and everything. And then I went down to a different department, came back, and I was like, whoa, airborne precautions are on him now? I went up to the head nurse, and I was like, hey... I was in that room all morning. Why are there airborne precautions down? They're like, oh, well, he has tuberculosis. Sorry, that's my cup. I'm freaking pregnant. It's my first trimester being pregnant. And now you tell me that this person has tuberculosis and I was, I spent the morning with him. Feeding him, taking care of him, changing his shit, changing his piss. Jesus. But okay. All right, thanks. Babe. That story really can't compare. I mean, the toxic lady, she was all mm. messed up, but she was so messed up to to screw all these other mm. people up. Yet Elmer, who was embalmed in arsenic fluid. I want to call him Elmer Fudd. Yeah. I don't and, like the name was, that he has. Traveled around the country for 60 years was perfectly fine. Yeah. Well, anyway, we're running out of time here, babe. Let's yeah, wrap we are. it up. Let's yeah. go. Well, guys, if you enjoyed this episode of Phil Interrupted, you can send me an email at philinterrupted at gmail.com. Calm. Babe, thanks for joining me here. I'm always here. Uh, interesting stuff here today on the show. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, most of these, uh, especially some of them were a little a little sad. Not going to lie. But they're mysteries. And you can look them up. Yeah. You can find out more information. In fact, the one that we were talking about with the CCTV, you can find... Uh, the footage Which I'd of like it. to see that. You can find the footage of it on YouTube and things like that. So you can check it out for yourself and uh, come to your own conclusions, as they say. Right? It's up for debate. Yeah. Babe, thanks for joining me here today. Always here. I'll see you tonight, the rest of the night. And I'll see yeah. you in bed. And I'll see you the next morning and the day after <laughs> I that. Know, so, every day. So thanks for being uh, here. Next time, one request. Can we do something fun next time? Like happy, or you asked maybe for full, murder. Maybe full. You literally of death. asked for now, murder. No, this was different. Like I wouldn't mind like different murders, like straight murder. We're good with murder. Anyway. Right. Fine, not right. fair enough. That's good. Good. We'll do fun some. or strictly murder. We'll That's do something nice. super fun <laughs> with hair straighteners, <laughs> kitchen lights. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Phil Interrupted, and we will catch you next time. Peace. Wait for it. Ow! When they reached the crash site. When they reached the crash... (laughs) (laughs) These are outtakes. 
CCTV footage was capturing. Oh, CCTV, CCTV, <laughs> CC. Stop. But when Susie still hadn't heard from her the next day, she began to worry. She called the pub landlord, George Foreman. That's the guy who made those grills. The grills. Yeah. He's also a boxer. Stop. Championship boxer. But really just really just the grill guy. I mean, hell, I was around tuberculosis when I was pregnant with Aiden. I did hell, not get I'm, it. I'm I around did. tuberculosis? Don't tell me what I can't do! 